Welcome to the Book Club Girl podcast, where we chat about great books with awesome authors, and you, our listeners, get to ask the questions. I'm Tavi Kowalczuk, and this year I resolved to read books by more diverse authors, as well as more books from my TBR shelves, which are jam packed. <laughs> I've read a bunch of books already by Indian authors, including The God of All Small Things by Arundhati Roy, The Ground Beneath Her Feet by Salman Rushdie, and The Space Between Us by Thirty Amrigar. This is Eliza Rosenberry. I'm your co-host. <laughs> and I can't believe I've never read The God of All Small Things. I really need to read it. I, that's, I'll put that on my TBR for modern this classic. year, too. Definitely a modern classic. This year, I'm also trying to read more diverse authors. Um, and one new book that's coming up this year that I really want to read is called A Burning by Mega Majumdar. I'm really excited for that one. Oh, my God. That sounds cool. Yeah. I'll tell you all about it. On today's show, what if raising your child was a luxury you couldn't afford? The destiny of two families worlds apart are bound by an adopted child. And we'll be talking about the coming-of-age novel Secret Daughter. We think it will be a great addition to your book club. And later in the show, we'll be joined by internationally best-selling author Shilpi Samaya Gowda. But first, we wanted to share this fantastic review of the podcast on iTunes from someone with the username sgradea16, who says, My book club has been a fan for many years. It's great that we can add a podcast element to our monthly book talks. Thank you so much for sharing that feedback. We really appreciate hearing it. And remember, if you have feedback for us, if you want to post a review on iTunes, there's a good chance we will read it on the show. So thank you in advance. Oh, my God. I love that review. I know. So nice. And now we present to you Secret Daughter Abridged. Secret Daughter follows an adopted daughter on her search for cultural identity and acceptance. In 1984, a baby is born in an impoverished Indian village. It's a girl, and girls are a luxury the family can't afford. Rather than let her newborn daughter disappear to an unknown fate, the mother, Kavita, takes her baby to an orphanage in the city of Mumbai. Kavita's next child is a son, and she begins to rebuild her relationship with her family, but giving up her daughter is a decision that will haunt her for the rest of her life. Meanwhile, her baby, Asha, is adopted by a couple in America. Both of them are doctors, Krishnan, the son of a wealthy family in Mumbai, and his American wife, Summer. As Asha grows up and begins to question her familial and cultural identity as an adopted child from another country, Krishnan and Summer also struggle to align their expectations for each other and for their daughter. When Asha goes to college and wins a journalism scholarship to pursue a project in Mumbai, two worlds meld and collide in a touching story about family and forgiveness. So, Tavia, what did you think of the book? There is so much in The Secret Daughter to discuss. This book is just a classic book club pick. If you want to read a great book with a group, this is the one. Yeah, I totally see that. From the experiences of the Indian culture, the controversial decisions that the characters make, to the growth of each character, it's just a meaty read. Yeah, I think there's so much to discuss. And I think the characters themselves are, you know, play off of each other in really interesting ways. And I think, you know, they make really interesting decisions. And and there's definitely a lot to dig into um, as part of a book club discussion. Speaking of the characters, I loved Asha. Yeah, me too. She was my favorite. I was so happy when she grew up and was out in the world. She's brave, curious, and intuitive. And I also really appreciated the open and trusting relationship that she had with her father, Krishnan. Yeah, Yeah, I totally agree. I loved that also. Yeah. There's a passage early in the book that really stood out to me about 
um, Krishnan, who grew up in India with a big Indian family and lots of cousins and multiple generations living in the same house. And then he moves to America and marries an American woman, Summer. And they have these different ideas about family. And he thinks of family in this big, sprawling way. And she thinks of family as a more intimate thing. And neither understanding is wrong. You know, it's not like it's not like they're fighting over who's right and who's wrong, but they it creates a lot of tension in their marriage mm-hmm. that they have these sort of conflicting ideas about what their family should look like. Um, and so I really thought that was an interesting thing that plays out throughout the throughout the novel. Yeah, I remember reading Summer's confusion. The, the times when she went to India, she just didn't feel like she fit in and she needed time apart. Every, there was no place she could go that was private. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, she was stunned and maybe felt a little rejected by her husband who just slipped right in. Yeah. And, you know, it was how he was raised. He just slipped right in and... and it was so easy for him. Yeah, definitely. I'm always interested in reading stories about adoption. I know that there's a lot of interesting nonfiction and memoirs about adoption. I know there's a book called um, All You Can Ever Know by Nicole Chung. That's a memoir of, of adoption, which I haven't read, but I would like to. But in fiction, I think there's a lot of ideas about what makes a family or when does someone become a mother or become a daughter or become a sibling um, that with adoption are sort of right at the surface. And so I I really enjoyed how that um, was played out in this novel. Yeah, I thought Shelby handled that very well. Yeah, I I agree. I I thought that, that, you know, in addition to the sort of tension between um, Summer and Krishnan just because of their different families, Mm -hmm. I thought that there was a natural tension built into the narrative that's created by the alternating voices. Yeah. Each chapter, it goes back and forth between these two families, Asha's birth parents and Asha's adoptive parents. Mm -hmm. It really kept me waiting for these worlds to collide. I just felt like this book was going to build towards this moment where Asha finally met her birth mother. Yeah. And I don't want to spoil it for any listeners who haven't read the book yet, but um, that tension is one of the most pleasurable parts about the book for me. I totally agree. I feel like the narrative tension, I feel like Shelby really built the narrative tension throughout the book through all of these like interweaving narratives. Um, And I was really eager to see how Asha would sort of resolve her inner, you know, it sort of paralleled Asha's inner tension about, you know, who is she? Where is she from? Um, So I was really excited for that to sort of culminate at the end of the book. My gosh, I'm so excited to talk to Shelby. Me too. We have so many questions for her. Great interview. Quick reminder: we love hearing from you, flat out. We just love it. Join our Facebook group, The Book Club Girls, where you can talk with other book lovers and post your own questions to the authors who appear on this show. You can find us at facebook.com/groups/thebookclubgirls. And stay tuned after the show for a short exclusive sample from the Secret Daughter audiobook. Today, we're joined by Shilpi Samaya Gowda, whose book, Secret Daughter, is out now. Welcome, Shilpi, to the Book Club Girl podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. We are so happy to have you here. To kick this conversation off, one of your readers, Lindsay, wrote on Twitter, what inspired you to write this story? Well, I think the original inspiration for the story came many, many years before I started writing. When I was a college student, I spent a summer volunteering at an orphanage in India. And it was a really striking experience for me because um, it was my first time traveling to India by myself. I was in a new part of the country. I didn't speak the language. And I had sort of expected an orphanage to feel like a sad place. 
but it wasn't. Those the children that I met there were really joyful, even though they had difficult life circumstances and and very little possessions. And so I formed deep relationships with them and I thought about them many times in the subsequent years. And I think that was the original kernel that sort of brewed in my mind was how, you know, there are circumstances of fate that affect how all of us live out our lives. And so as I got older and when I became a mother myself, I, you know, I thought more and more about that and I decided I wanted to write a story about a little girl born into one set of circumstances in India that seemed dire, but, you know, ends up living up, living out a different kind of a life um, because of a twist of fate. So that was the original inspiration for the story. Wow. That sounds like it was a really incredible experience. And to have so young when you're 20, I can't even imagine. Just like Asha. Right. Just like Asha. Shelby, the in Secret Daughter, you, you sort of, I love what you said about, you know, these circumstances of fate. And Secret Daughter explores, you know, with Krishnan and Summer and Kavita and Jasu in India, um, two very different families and within those families, two very different marriages. And it was so interesting to see those relationships play out over time in parallel through the throughout the novel. And so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you approached writing these marriages. I don't think I thought about it as consciously at the time, but as I started writing, I thought it was an interesting opportunity to explore one of the main differences between um, Western and Eastern culture, which is, you know, what what constitutes a marriage. And um, arranged marriages are the norm in India. My parents had one. Uh, I did not because I grew up in North America. But, you know, the concept of an arranged marriage is you get married first and you fall in love later. And the the idea that um, y- if you work hard enough and have good enough intentions, you can be married to, you know, not just one soulmate, but, you know, you can, you can make a life with, you know, more than one type of person um, is, you know, it's sort of an interesting concept when you look at the fact that those marriages tend to survive at better rates than what Indians call love marriages. Um, you know, which are, which I think Summer and Krishnan had, you know, they fell in love in isolation from their families, their cultures, based on a common experience that they were having at that point in their lives. And the fact that they didn't really take into consideration where they each came from um, culturally and in terms of their family ended up, you know, hurting them in the long run. They, They sort of had to learn that the hard way over time. I really recognized Summer's um, sort of confusion and her bafflement when you described her visit to India and and how she just, you know, when she went for a walk down the street and and how um, almost rejected she felt by her husband's family and and the culture. It it really was a very powerful scene for me. Yeah, and I think it's um, some people apply today's lens of cultural awareness and globalization on the story when in reality they you know this couple met in the 1970s when it was um, very unusual to have a mixed-race marriage even in America and 
you know, the, the idea that we would see other cultures on TV, you know, hadn't, hadn't yet become a reality. So they really were isolated. You couldn't, you couldn't even really make phone calls to India back then that weren't, you know, that were reliable, you know, without static for more than two minutes. So it was very hard to form a understanding of another culture if you didn't come into the relationship with the, with the idea that it was an important thing to do. It brings us right into my next question, actually, which is the theme of cultural identity um, in the book. It seems to be at the forefront of Secret Daughter. And I especially enjoyed how your novel explored Asha's American upbringing and her Indian heritage. Is there anything, Shilby, that you'd like to share about your own background and experiences that may have informed the novel? Yes, I, you know, I think because... I was born in Canada and have spent my adult life in the United States, but my parents are from India. I have a view of, I sort of have a very hybrid view of culture because that's the way it's played out in my own life. But when we were, when I was growing up, when my sister and I were growing up, um, we would go back to India every few years to visit the rest of our families. My parents were the only ones on, in each of their respective families who left India. So all of my cousins, aunts, uncles, grandparents were back there and we would visit them every few years. And I couldn't help wondering how, you know, if that, again, in my life, if that little twist of circumstance had been different, how my life would have changed if I'd grown up in India. Would I have a life like my cousins had or, you know, would it have been more like, you know, based based on the circumstances of who my parents were and how they raised me, even if it was in a different country. And I also had the experience of every time I went back to India, I started out as an outsider. So I would be shocked by the poverty. I would be uncomfortable with the people, you know, begging from me on the street. And, you know, I would see everything anew as an, as an observer, really. And then by the time I'd been there a couple weeks, I'd been hanging out with my cousins and, you know, traipsing around with them, I had a different view. You know, I had their view. I become, became comfortable with things. I looked past things that initially made me uncomfortable. I, you know, I had a facility with um, navigating the, the, the cities that I didn't when I first got there. And so at the end of every trip, I had sort of, you know, I felt very acclimated and I saw things from their eyes. And I always thought, I mean, I went back every few years when I was growing up, every time I left India, I thought, next time, I'm not going to have that feeling, you know, that, <laughs> that like, uncomfortable feeling when I first get there. But I still did, you know, every time. Shelby, I have a totally different question for you, which is about Asha's desire to become a journalist. Um, when I was reading Secret Daughter, I thought it made a lot of sense thinking about Asha's character, because she's always seeking the truth, you know, even when she's a little girl. And I thought that was such an interesting, I'm curious why you made that choice for Asha and and how you see it playing out in the story. Well, you put your finger on it. That's exactly why. I thought, you know, most people, if they are drawn to any sort of career from a young age, it's because, you know, it, it probably echoes some deep need or interest. And I think because she, there was always, she felt as if there was a mystery around her origins and there was information missing from her life story, you know, it's sort of set her out on this quest to be a truth seeker. One of my favorite scenes in The Secret Daughter takes place in India when Asha returns 
as a young woman, and her cousins and her grandmother dress her up and bring her along to this huge Indian wedding. Uh, it was just so colorful and vibrant. Of course, she meets a dashing young man. Have you ever been to a wedding like that? And for our listeners who have not, what are they like? I have been to a wedding like that. I I attended one in my mid-20s, and uh, it was, I tried to do justice to that type of experience in my descriptions. I probably, you know, couldn't do it. But um, the one I attended, and which closely parallels the one that Asha goes to in the novel, um, took place on in one of the cricket um, clubs, which are the largest outdoor groomed areas that are surrounded by fences so they can sort of be cordoned off as private areas. And the entire outdoor space is transformed into what looks like a ballroom. So, you know, rugs, furniture, like more beautiful per- furniture than most than you would see in a five-star hotel, lighting, um, and then just this whole undercurrent of servers, you know, people who are running around picking things up, serving you. And they're all, and they're always huge. I mean, they're always thousands of people, thousands and thousands of people. I think, I think the one I attended had at least 5,000 people. So, and, and, you know, weddings are an opportunity for the hosting families to display their wealth and generosity. So they will often invite as many people as they can and the more people that come are you know that's a sign of their of their um, strength as a family and then it's an opportunity for guests to show off their wealth usually by the you know the jewels and the outfits they wear so it's a real spectacle I mean it would put like the the Oscars red carpet to shame since Secret Daughter was originally published 10 years ago, which is crazy, we were curious to know, Shilpi, what it's like for you as the author to revisit the book today. Obviously, you have new books coming out and, and you're writing still today, which is awesome. And we can talk about that in a minute. But really curious about what it's like for you looking back on the book now. Yeah, I can't believe that it's 10 years either. But for many years, I didn't read the novel again. Um, I read all the reviews that told me everything that was wrong with the novel. And so I, I had decided in my mind that it wasn't worth rereading. But um, each I have two daughters. They're now 13 and 16. And when each of them turned 13, I agreed to um, read the novel with them. They, they had been asking me for years when they were allowed to read my books. And, and so um, I said, you know, when they were 13, they could read Secret Daughter and I would read it you know, with them or to them. And it actually became a really lovely experience because um, I picked it up for the first time and read it in its entirety out loud. I was, you know, pleasantly surprised. I thought, oh, okay, I get like the the moments, the moments and scenes that were emotional in the writing are the same ones that people have written to me about and told me they resonated with them. And they were the same ones that still resonated with me. So I started to believe that there, you know, there really was some truth there to the core, you know, to some of those core emotions that get struck in the story. It feels like the emotional resonance um, is somewhat universal. And the fact that, you know, my young daughters could appreciate it and someone my age could appreciate it. And then I hear from people um, you know, in very different cultures around the world who tell me that it resonates with them. I think that really, that, that makes me happy. 
You're listening to the Book Club Girl podcast, where our guest this week is Shilpi Samaya Gouda, whose book, Secret Daughter, is out now. You can read more about Shilpi's book at bookclubgirl.com. Coming up on the Book Club Girl podcast, we ask Shilpi about her literary white whale. Stick around. This episode of the Book Club Girl podcast is brought to you by Little Gods by Meng Jin. This intensely moving debut depicts China's turbulent 1980s through the eyes of a young woman grieving her mother. Little Gods is available now wherever books are sold. Welcome back to the show. Each week, we bring you a new fascinating conversation with an author who's written a book we think is a great choice for book clubs to read together. Today, author Shilpi Somaya Gouda is here with us answering questions from our listeners. One of your readers on Instagram, Bobby, posted a question for you. They want to know, what was the most surprising part of writing Secret Daughter? You know, I think because it was my first experience writing a novel, um, I didn't really understand the emotional toll it takes to write an emotional story. So there were certain scenes in the writing, you know, after I had plotted out the novel and started writing it, there were certain scenes that were going to be very emotionally intense that I found myself writing around. You know, I'd write right up to them and then I'd skip over them and write the next thing. (laughs) Then I'd jump forward a couple chapters and I realized after a while that I was going to have to come back and write, you know, that scene that I was avoiding. And when I finally sat down to do it, I had to sort of work up to it, first of all, emotionally. And then when I did it, it was a very um, intense and draining experience. And I think it's because I, as a writer, I have to empathize with my characters. And by that point, I have a lot invested in them. I care about them as people. Um, And so when difficult things happen to them, I live through it emotionally. Um, And so I was really a little bit surprised by the fact that I, you know, I had to go through that myself in order to write it. Um, And interestingly, those are the scenes that I usually don't have to edit very much. Um, I think because by the time I work up to writing them, they're, they're already formed in my head. That's powerful. I once read this novel and there was this one scene that made me cry for pages. And and I had the chance to talk to the author about that scene. And he said to me that when he wrote it, he was crying. Shilpi, one of your other readers, Prashanti, wrote in to ask, if you were to write a sequel to the book, where would the characters be now? And I think this follows your point about um, thinking about how the how the narrative strands intersect and then some of them don't meet at the end. Um, You know, people asked me for years whether I would ever write a sequel, and my answer for the first few years was definitely not, because I was done with that story. And I had other stories in my mind that were occupying, you know, occupying my energy. Um, But now, I think now that 10 years have passed, and, you know, there's been a lot of talk about making a film about Secret Daughter, and... Um, it's come out in so many languages that I hear from people all over the world. Now I think I have enough distance from it that I might consider, I'm, you know, I wouldn't rule it out entirely. Um, and I think I would probably jump forward in time uh, a little bit. I wouldn't pick up right where the story left off. I think Asha is about 20 years old at the end of the story. Um, so I might jump into her, you know, into her adulthood, maybe her... Once she is, you know, perhaps thinking about a family of her own, um, because that's another point at which, 
you know, a lot of stuff usually has to be reconciled. Shilpi, we know that you have a new book coming out this year, which we are super excited about. Can you tell us about The Shape of Family? Yes. um, The Shape of Family is my third novel, and it'll be coming out in March. And I'm really excited about it. It is a more contemporary story than my first two novels. It takes place mostly in America. And it's the story of a family who uh, suffer a tragedy, and it leaves them all drifting into different directions. And the story is about how they go on their own individual searches for meaning and ultimately find a way back to each other. So um, there are there's a um, mother, an Indian mother named Jaya, who is a, raised all over the world. There's an American dad named Keith, and they have two children, a, another teenage daughter named Karina and a young son named Prem. What you when you were describing the family unit, it reminded me of how much I love the grandmother in Secret Daughter. And how Eliza and I have this sort of like running dialogue on the show of like strong female characters, how much we love them. Would, would you identify one of the characters in Shape of Family as the strong female character she'll be? I think both the mother and daughter are strong. They they take very different paths to, um, to meaning, Jaya and Karina. But they have, first of all, a very strong bond um, at, the, at the beginning of the story. And it's something that keeps them tethered to each other you know, and ultimately brings them back together. So I think they're both strong. They're, they're both very strong characters. And, um, and they really, we see them really struggling, which is an, you know, it's an interesting thing to know that even your strong, strongest people endure things that are, that can knock them off their feet, but that strength is what brings them back. Oh, it sounds so great. It sounds fantastic. Thank you. Each episode, we ask an author, what is your literary white whale? It's a book they've either always meant to read or when they started reading and never finished. So Shilpi, what is your literary white whale? Oh my gosh, there's probably a long list of those. Probably be a James Joyce book, Ulysses, I would guess. I had a, um, my dear friend and roommate in college was an English major, and I remember her spending an entire semester at least reading Ulysses and underlining it. And I, I kept watching her thinking, <laughs> why would anyone torture themselves like that? Um, but I think that's probably one I, I should take on. That's a popular choice among the guests on our show. <laughs> I have to be honest. You are not a, you are not alone. We need to connect you all. You can have a support group to go. finally get through Ulysses. <laughs> I've never finished. I read, I read a lot of it in college, but I never finished I it. I never even tried. Shilpi, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We really loved Secret Daughter, and it was such a pleasure to get to talk to you about it. Thank you. Thank you. It was great talking to you guys. That was Shilpi Somaya Gouda, whose book, Secret Daughter, is out now. To find out more about Shilpi's book and how to buy it, head to bookclubgirl.com, where you can also find links to everything mentioned in this episode. Like what you heard? Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please do leave a rating and a review. Another way to help spread the word about the Book Club Girl podcast is to tell a friend. It really helps others to find us. Hey, Eliza, do you know about this thing called the Book Club Girl podcast? (laughs) Exactly like that. (laughs) You'll hear from us again in two weeks, where we'll be speaking with Stephen P. Kiernan, author of The Baker's Secret. 
you can join that conversation too. If you've read The Baker's Secret and have a question for Stephen, post the questions in the comments on our Book Club Girl Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash the book club girls, or call us at 212-207-7336. You can also send us an email, thegirls at bookclubgirl.com. And you can find us on Instagram. We're Book Club Girl on Instagram. And you can also find us, Tavia Reads and Eliza is Reading. We're all on Instagram, so you can send us your comments there too. We'd really love to hear from you. Before we go, a big thank you to Jordan Gosperay, who produced today's episode, to Kate Ninsell for introducing us to Shilpi, to Margot Wall for recording this interview, and to our terrific engineer, Violet Furton. Until next time, I'm Eliza. And I'm Tavia. Happy reading. Karina sat outside the principal's office, kicking her feet against the wooden bench. She knew the noise was annoying the receptionist who glanced up periodically with a stern look from behind the tall barrier. Karina didn't care. What else could happen to her? She was already waiting in the principal's office. Her mother had been called. The only redeeming part of this whole situation was that Prem wasn't here with her. He was, with any luck, outside with the other first graders playing tetherball or four square. Twenty minutes earlier, the start of lunch, she'd been at the monkey bars with her best friend Izzy when she'd seen Prem across the schoolyard, sitting at the lunch table. Her younger brother, usually running around wild with his friends during this time, was cowering at the corner of the table, with an older boy hovering nearby. Karina crossed the yard, and as she approached, she recognized Jake Potash from her grade. Man, that stinks. Jake pinched his nose and pointed at her brother's stainless steel tiffin, filled with rice and vegetable curry. Get that crap away from me. He kicked at the table, causing the tiffin to rattle, and Prame, his face seized by fear, to slide farther down the bench. Karina, fueled by rage and protective instinct, marched up and grabbed the tiffin off the table. You bother my brother again, she spat out. I'll kill you. The smirk lingered on Jake's face, so before she could think, Karina raised her arm and hurled the tiffin at him. Jake yelped as the sharp metal edge struck him square in the face, and curry was left dripping down his cheek. Karina stared as he wiped his face, and Jake must have recognized the anger in her eyes, because even though it was an absurd threat from a scrawny 11-year-old girl to make against the school's biggest bully, he just spat on the ground and stormed away. Before Karina could check on Prame, a playground teacher jogged over, breathless. I saw that, Miss Olander. Throwing an object at someone? You are going to pay a visit to the principal's office. Before Karina could explain, the teacher took her by the upper arm and moved toward the building doors. Prame looked up at her from the bench, his face now streaked with tears. She touched her nose with the fingertip of her free hand as she was being pulled away, and he did the same, the invisible thread that bound them. When Prem had started kindergarten at Karina's elementary school last year, he worshipped his big sister and her friends by extension. Her parents were happy knowing they were at the same school, where Karina could look out for them. Prem was so nervous that first day as Karina showed him around, pointing out the playground where she would see him at lunch. Look, you love monkey bars. Prem smiled at her, then spontaneously threw his arms around her torso and squeezed tight. 
Okay, okay, she said, unlatching him before anyone saw. You're a big boy now. She touched him lightly on the tip of his nose. You'll be fine, I promise.